Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Cubic. That's what I want to talk to you about today. This is what we've been, in fact, talking about and moving towards the last three weeks out of Luke chapter 7. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back through the verses we've covered so far for the sake of summation because I want to make sure everybody's on the same page. I'll take just a few moments here. Luke 7, starting in verse 36, this will be the third lesson. Out of that, move into verse 50. Verse 36 says, Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner, and when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his, at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, as she is a sinner. That's the first text we used in the first lesson to talk about the blessings of brokenness. There's a blessing in brokenness. There's three that we've identified specifically out of this text. One is that in our brokenness, we're drawn to the presence of God. God whispers us, whispers to us in our pleasure. He screams to us in our pain. And when we're in pain, when we're in struggling, when we know that we're broken, it causes us, it provokes us to seek after hope. And there's only one true hope, Christ Jesus. Not only are we blessed to be to seek out his presence, but then to worship once we're in that presence. And then finally, the thing we learned at that particular week, and, and one of the things that I think is most significant, because I see it drawing and holding back so many people, that the blessing of brokenness, when we truly recognize it in the presence of God, in our brokenness, we are more concerned about being in his presence than the criticism around us. And so it dismisses the critic. I see people from up here. You don't think I can see you. It's like you think there's some, something going on just past this table. I can't see you. But when I do an altar call or I have a prayer time, some of you, your brokenness is so apparent. And I've seen, I've even seen this, I've seen this. Because you're more worried about what people around you are going to think than what God thinks of you. This shouldn't be, brother, sister. These people will celebrate you in your worst as you approach the throne of God. So that's what we learned in the first lesson. The second lesson, starting in verse 40, it says, And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, Say it, teacher. And 
a money lender had two, so he starts telling this story. He said a money lender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50, which is the difference between 62000 and $6,400 roughly in today's money. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon, this is the Pharisee, answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you, were judged, you have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You gave you did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And we talked about how there's a three-pronged test to determine whether or not, out of this text, to determine whether or not we're properly broken. And that is, are we humble? Because we can't receive anything from God unless we first come to Him out of humility. Are we grateful for what He's given us? And has our gratefulness caused us to love others the way that He loved us? And so today, I'm going to continue 37 through, sorry, 48 through 50 to talk about moving from pieces to peace. Isaiah 64, 8 says this. Isaiah, in his prayer for mercy from God, says, But for now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are potter and all of us the work of your hands. You catch that? He's crawling out. He's crying out for mercy, and he's telling God, he says, you are our father, we are the clay, you are the potter, you are the one that molds us, you are the one that makes us, manufactures us, creates in us what you want us to be, and all of us are the work of your hands. Let me ask you a question. Did God originally design the pot, the vessel, broken? No, absolutely not. God doesn't make anything imperfect. We created imperfection by walking in rebellion, by trading intimacy with God for what we thought was right. We moved from presumably walking in the garden in the cool of the day for rebellion so that we could look like God, so we could think like God, so we could act like God which is the greatest of rebellions, to think that you somehow have the ability, the capability to be equal with the one that created you. It's absurd. And in that, we took that which was made perfect. And in the human condition, Adam destroyed it. Adam and Eve destroyed it. That's what the Bible says. By one man, sin entered. So we're, we're sinners by birth. I've told you this a hundred times. I'm going to tell you a hundred more times because it's the truth of the gospel. There's nothing you could do to not be a sinner. 
there's everything you could do to be righteous, and that is to be dependent. I didn't say independent. I said dependent. So not only are we sinners by birth, but we're sinners by action. We have decided even now that we're going to have our own way, that we're going to live contrary to the word of God that we're going to sin. I asked a rhetorical question of, of some buddies of mine the other day, and I, and I know it's hypothetical. I know it's not true that the Bible is true, but let me ask you this question. And it, I was praying on my way home, and God hit me with this, or, or I don't know if it was God that hit me with this question or if it just, it just came to me and it really hurt my feelings. But it said, if, if sin had never entered the human condition, prior to today would it have entered the human condition because of something you did today I'm about bearing the weight of your sin could you imagine if the bible said it said through one instead of saying through one man sin entered it said through one man Jim sin, or sin entered into the world why do I ask this question? Why do I, why do I even say this? Because we're quick to blame Adam for being sinful. But the weight of our personal sin is just as, just as significant as any sin that he committed. I need us to understand and truly recognize the weight of the travesty of who we are. The brokenness that we carry the misshapenness from our original condition that we are prior to Jesus. Because we can't understand the good news unless we understand the bad news. Would we ever know what dark looked like if we didn't see light? Would we ever know what light looked like if we didn't ever see dark? Does a fish know it's wet? So we're broken, but praise God. This broken, sharded clay, this dust that we used to be, of the magnificence of who we were originally created to be, God's in the business of restoring. All clay can be restored prior to firing. Did you know that? Make the, make the vessel, bust it, shatter it, pick up the dusty pieces, put it in a bucket full of water, it's eventually going to become malleable again. You can eventually become malleable again. If you're willing to accept the truths of the gospel message, the process of salvation declared in verses 39 through 50, 49, 48 through 50. And they read like this. When he said to her, this woman, your sins have been forgiven, those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? Notice that it says man is in, in my Bible. I don't know if it does yours. The NASB italicizes man to add emphasis to it. So they wouldn't acknowledge that he was God. Who is this man who even forgives sin? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Amen. I want to talk to you about the process of moving from brokenness 
from pieces to piece. And that process begins by recognizing that Jesus offers forgiveness to us. I could go back, I could repeat all the stuff I just said, but the fact of the matter is, because of everything I just said, we have one significant need, and that's relationship with God. We have one need, one primary need, and that's relationship with God. And Jesus offers forgiveness. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. This isn't possible unless the guilt of our sin is removed. This woman was guilty. She was a sinner. This is what the Bible says. I mean, it's very plain. We don't know the nature of her sin. I will tell you that traditionally, historically, extra-biblically, they will tell you that any woman that carried around a bottle of perfume with her likely needed it to cover up the smell of her having laid with one man after another man, and so she was likely a prostitute. But it doesn't specifically state that in the text. But I like that it doesn't specifically state that in the text. You know why? Because that means that it, all sinners, all sin, any sin, all of us require forgiveness of God. All of us have fallen short of God's glory. None of us seek after Him. None of us are righteous. Read, read Romans chapter 3. And then read it again. And then read it again. And what you're going to find out is that if it were not for Christ Jesus and the Spirit of God, you'd be dead right now, and rightfully so. But it doesn't matter what our sin is. You're alive. I'm not a prostitute. I'm not a drug dealer. I'm not a woman beater. You guys have heard me give my testimony, most of you. And you'll hear me say stuff like, I was an alcoholic. I wasn't an alcoholic, but I stayed drunk all the time. I was a womanizer. I was a liar. Horrible things. I've actually had people, buddies of mine in law enforcement say, why do you say that about yourself, man? I, I've known you for 25 years. You were a good dude. You've given your life to service to this community, service to your country, service to your state. Now you're in service to your God. I tell them it doesn't matter what the sin is it's a travesty before a holy God if I only ever told one little bitty white lie in all of my life I'd still be deserving of hell doesn't matter what sin you've committed problem is we want to grade it I'm not as bad as that dude so I'm alright you're as bad as that dude. I don't care if you're a liar. I don't care if you're a thief, an idolater. I don't care if you're a whoremonger, an addict. I don't care what you were or maybe even what you currently are. You are in need of the forgiveness of God. And that forgiveness of God is only available in Christ Jesus. Did you hear me? It's no other way. The Bible tells us for no other name under heaven can we be saved but the name of Jesus. That he is the 
the way, the truth, and the life. These are all true, but praise God. When we recognize, when we can acknowledge that we're sinful, we have a promise in the Word of God. John 1, or 1 John 1, 9 says this, and I love this. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Woo! Man, come on, let me tell you, I need that in my life. Because the truth of the matter is that that question, that hypothetical question that I asked you guys a little while ago, would sin have entered into the world for something I did that day? The answer would have been yes. I got angry that day. I spoke in anger that day. I wasn't intentionally joyful that day. I drove past a need, I'm sure, that day. But this is with the promise that I have. That if I ask forgiveness, he's faithful and just to forgive me and then to cleanse me from that unrighteousness. This is the magnificence of the God that we serve. But we can only accept that forgiveness as we accept another truth. Who Jesus is. We can only accept that as we answer the question, who is this man? That's the question that's posed in 49. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sin? Who is Jesus? Let me tell you who Jesus is. Jesus is God. He is the creator God. The eternal creator God. Genesis 1.1 says what? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Amen? And then he created. He created the heavens and the earth. And then if you'll look, if you'll read through there, you're going to see stuff. And he said. 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 What is he doing? He's using the creative power of His Word to create all that has been created. And so the Word was with God in the beginning and is the creative power of God. It gets better. John 1, 1 and 2 says, In the beginning, that creative beginning, was the Word. Remember, I just told you. And then he said, then he said, then he said, then he said. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. John 1, 4a. And the Word became flesh. You know who that flesh is? Can somebody say Jesus? That flesh is Jesus. Jesus, who was the creator, God of the universe, the Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us so we might ultimately get that forgiveness that he talked about. That's who Jesus is. If you want to ask who is this man, perhaps we should start by saying he's more than just a man. He's the eternal creator God of the universe and deserves to be honored, deserves to be praised, deserves to be glorified, deserves to be knelt down before 
deserves to be sacrificed for. You know why? Because he sacrificed for us. I told y'all I'm just going to preach y'all a gospel message today. But I think it's the most important thing I could tell you. Nobody can forgive sin but God. When he says, your sins are forgiven you, trust me when I tell you, he was without exception and explicitly stating, I am God. Because the Pharisees knew that God alone was capable of forgiving sin. That's why in Mark chapter 2 they said, well, who is this guy that he's blaspheming? Only God can forgive sin. Well, well, I am God, so I'm not blaspheming. This is the Jesus that we serve. Why is that important? It's important because only he can forgive because only he is God. He's the only one qualified to forgive you of your sin. This is something you hear all the time. Only God can forgive sin. But if I asked you why, what would you tell me? I mean, literally, beyond the Sunday school answer, because that's what the Bible says. How would you answer that question? I think it's important that we're able to answer that question. Why can only God forgive sin? Because all sin is against God. If you, make, if you do something to me, if you steal from me, you owe me an apology. If you do something to somebody else, or if I do something to somebody else, I owe them an apology. But can I tell you, all sin, regardless of who it's perpetrated against, is ultimately a sin against God. This is what Psalms 51.4 says. It says this. It says, against you, this is David speaking in Psalm 51, which is the greatest prayer of repentance you'll ever read, if you'll take time to read it. Psalm 51.4, against you, you only. Everybody say, you only. Because he's talking about God. I have sinned, and what is evil, in, and done what is evil in your sight. He just got caught. The prophet came up to him, called him out about some sin. He said, you, you raped a woman. Oh, wait a minute. He didn't rape Bears Bathsheba. He did. Anytime you use your authority to take sexual advantage of someone else, that's right. Besides that, the tradition of the time, if her king called on her, even if she didn't want to, she would have been obligated to. She committed rape misused his authority, murdered her husband, caused, sinned against the men who withdrew that caused the murder of her husband, sinned against his own heritage because his sins, his sins would follow him in the death of his children, sinned against the nation Israel. But you don't hear him asking, God, asking forgiveness from any of those people. You know who he asked forgiveness from? God. I'm not saying don't make it right with other people. I'm just making you understand that only Jesus is qualified to forgive you of your sin because it's God that you sinned against. 
Not only is he the only one qualified, he is the perfect sacrifice. He became sin, so we wouldn't know sin according to the word of God. He is our perfect atonement. People are, what's atonement? That means he literally paid the price for our sin. Romans 6.23, for the wages, the payment of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you hear that? That's good news. The good news is that the wages of sin is, that's, that's the bad news. The wages of sin is death. That's what we owe. That's what we, that's our earned income. But you know what? Jesus cashed that check for us and gave us eternal life as a free gift because he loves us. Man, God is so good. You want to know who Jesus is? He's qualified. He's the perfect sacrifice. He's the atonement. He's the one who became sin so that you wouldn't have to bear the weight of your sin. He is the firstborn over all creation. Everything was created through, by, and for him. This is the Jesus that we serve. This is the answer to the question, who is this man? Let me tell you, this man offers forgiveness. And the only thing that you have to do, the only thing that he asks us to do, is accept that in faith. It's amazing. He did so much and only asked that we accept it in faith. Verse 50a says, And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by the grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, the gift of God. As you trust God to be everything that the Word says that He is, and the sacrifice that Jesus Christ laid down on your behalf, you too can be saved. Isn't that beautiful? It's not even hard. Let me take that back because I don't want to minimize it. It's not even hard for you. It's devastating for him. But he took it anyway. You know why? Because he loved you. Because he loves you. Let me get that right. Because he loves you. But our faith has to be proven as hers was proven. I'm not saying you have to be work to get saved. But your salvation will always cause you to do something. Look at this woman. She proved the faith that she had. She went in there and made a public spectacle of herself. Got down on her hands and knees. Let down her hair. Washed Jesus' feet with her hair. The glory of a woman. Broke probably the only thing she had of value over his feet kissed his feet when the other person wouldn't even kiss his face. You know what I did? You know what this story doesn't say? The story doesn't say that he, she asked Jesus into her heart or that she said even, that she even said the sinner's prayer. But you know she made some kind of confession. You know, you know, something happened in her. 
because her actions proved what happened in her. Her faith became real. Oh, that our faith would become real to us. That we would dismiss everything going on around us and just chase after God. No matter what it cost us. Our glory, our honor, our finance, our time, our reputation. And let me tell you, when we trust his forgiveness, when we recognize who he is, when we accept that in faith, we have this promise. Go in peace. started talking about this thing, this broken thing that we were. But God did all the work so that we could have peace. I'm not talking about peace that's circumstantial. It's hard not to look out the window of my house or watch the news or listen to my friends who are largely conservative. Almost all conservative. <laughs> Say stuff and maintain peace I get frustrated I get fussy because of the way the politics are happening what the economy looks like what the world's coming to what they're trying to teach our kids how they're trying to take away seems to be seem, seemingly taking away our, our freedoms this new equality act and the idea that there may be a chance that I, I'll be criminalized for preaching the truth you know what because I've been forgiven because Jesus is who he said he is and because I am saved because I do have the faith to know I'm saved I'm going to have peace in prison or I'm going to have peace in this parking lot if they go to if it gets to the point where they cut our head off Oh, Pastor Jim, you're being a doomsdayer. I don't know if I am or not, but I'll tell you, these are decisions I've made already. And I've found peace in them. Not because I have the fortitude to do it, but because the Spirit of God in me gives me the peace to do it. This is what I want for you.